discuss <coughs> this uh, process of sanctification. And um, go ahead and turn over with me to John chapter 17. This has kind of been our key verse that we've been basing a lot of what we've been doing out of. Um, tonight's message is really simple. I'm really just going to give you an example out of the Old Testament of how important this separation process is and how important it is to make sure we're hearing the right voice and getting separated unto that. Um, and so remember over here in J- John chapter 17, Jesus, he's praying. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And um, uh, it's really cool because it gives us what he's praying. And he begins praying for himself, thanking God that you know he was glorified in his life, that throughout his life he did everything that God asked him to do. Remember, that's the prayer we want to pray in the end. God, here's my life before you. I have done everything you asked of me. Uh, You know, he said in there, I've glorified you, therefore you've glorified me. And then he said this, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. But after he prays for himself, he moves on down and he's praying for his disciples. And we see some interesting stuff here. And we want to start with verse 15. Start with verse 15. It says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So instantly he is giving you the position, the environment that he is asking for his disciples to remain in. He's not saying, I don't pray that, you know, you take what I'm about to do on the cross and what I'm about to do but being raised from the dead. I'm not doing all that so you can come yank them out of the earth and get them up to heaven like we've all thought up to this point was the whole plan. Jesus came and died on the cross for my sins so I could have eternal life and live with him forever in heaven. That's not a true statement. Jesus is saying right here, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. So he's saying the environment where the disciples are going to be the most productive is in the earth. But he does say, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. What's he talking about? Keep them from. He's talking about limitations. He's talking about a boundary set up. He's talking about even though they're in the earth, keep them from everything that the world has to offer them. I want them to be separated, although they're right in the middle of the mess. And so that's what we've kind of been talking about, this separation. We're not saying be separate from the world and, you know, go find you a non-secular job and go get you friends that only know Jesus like you know Jesus. And, and, and uh, if they're not on the same level you are Christian-wise and how they believe God, then they can't hang out. That's not what we're talking about. Because Jesus is saying right here, I want you to keep them in the environment that's contrary to their new life, but I want you to keep them away from being a, a part of everything that's around them. I want you to keep them separate separate them even though they're right in the middle of all the junk. Now let's go on to verse 16. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. What does that mean? He's talking about your source again. He's saying they didn't come from the world just like I didn't come from the world. They have a different home just like I have a different home. He said, I came here from heaven. You sent me here for a purpose and a work. So even though I'm in the world, I'm not from the world, which means I don't have to identify with the world. Now, that's important because when Peter and John came upon situations 
and the world could only offer certain answers, Peter and John could instantly say, my identity is not based upon what's going on right here. I, 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 can, I can actually bring answers instead of having to just answer in with everybody else. When, when they came uh, you know, up on the, the gate called Beautiful and they came to the lame man there, what was the lame man looking for? He was begging for money, begging for alms. Why? Because I can't work, so I'm just my life is reduced to begging. The world's answer was just give him some money and help him get to tomorrow. But Peter and John showed up and said, wait a minute. We're in the world. We're surrounded by the problems, but we're not of the world. Our identity is we can change that situation. So Peter and John said, well, you know what? We don't have any money to give you. Gold and silver we don't have. But we got something better to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked, went leaping and shouting and praising into the temple, followed them in, and then they got into a bunch of trouble. So Peter and John, they were separate, even though they're right in the middle of everything that's going on, just like you and I are. Okay? So they are of the world, or they are in the world, but not of the world. Verse 17. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Jesus is praying this over his disciples. He's saying, God, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, now he's praying to God and he's saying, now we want to get them. This is what we need to do to separate them. They're in the world. They're not of the world. So we need them to be sanctified or separated for a perfect work that you have called for them to do even though they're in the middle of all this junk and all this mess that they're living in that's around them so sanctify them separate them by your truth your word is truth and this is what we talked about last week that the the dilemma the problem that we all run into in our daily lives is we have two voices but yet there's one truth says the word is truth Thank God Jesus put that in there. There's no other way to look at it. Your word is truth. This word right here is the truth. And we all have opportunities every day of our lives to listen to one of two voices. So last week we took a look at the, the whole reason why we're being sanctified and separated is because we need to live like we're from a different world. Adam and Eve in the garden... They had an opportunity. They had two voices. One was truth. And we saw last week that when they began to live of this world, instead of living of the world they came from, they were no longer separated from the world. And when you separate, when, when you separate from one thing, you become separated from another. When, you, when, they separate, when, they, when they became like the world, they separated from God. When they did what the world wanted them to do, when they bit out of that fruit because the devil said, eat of this fruit, you will not die. When they answered that call, they separated from God. He shows up back in the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? What have you done? And now all of a sudden they're in fear. They're hiding. Uh, we, we've clothed ourselves because we're naked. Why? Because there's a separation that took place. But it goes both ways. If I obey what God tells me to do, now I become separated from the world. And so whenever you become like one, you separate from the other. So we have these two voices. One offers truth. 
And so what are we what are we following here? He says, sanctify them by your word. That means if you're going to be separated from what I want you to do, then you've got to be in my word. You've got to hear clearly my voice. If you're going to do what I'm asking you to do, then you've got to be able to hear the commands I give and be able to obey them. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth he's saying just as i'm requiring them to be sanctified and set apart i'm setting myself apart how was jesus sanctified by obeying his father remember jesus constantly throughout his ministry was saying whatever my father does that's what i do whatever he tells me to do that's what i do when he tells me to go somewhere i go there when he Tells me to leave somewhere, I leave there. When he gives me a command and tells me to, to tell somebody something, I say that. He was always doing what his father wanted him to do. Why? Because he was set apart. And we know Jesus' life was all about being set apart, even though he was right in the midst of it all. I mean, he was going to lunch with evil people. <laughs> He's not, you know, people want to say, you know, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't hanging out. He was there to make influence. So we, we, got, we, we use that term too loosely. Oh, he was hanging out with tax collectors. We, and what do we think of when we're hanging out? He's doing what they're doing. If I'm hanging out with someone, we're all doing the same thing. But that's not, that's not what Jesus was doing. We've got to be careful with that. When he went to a tax collector's house, it was to change the tax collector. When he showed up uh, in the midst of adulterers, he was there to change that. When he showed up in the midst of sickness, he was there to change that. When he, was, when he showed up in the midst of a storm, he changed it. He was all about changing stuff, influencing stuff, making an impact, not just I'm hanging out with tax collectors so people don't think I don't, I, I, I don't like tax collectors. He's hanging out with tax collectors because, hey, you're living a life that's not righteous. You're not living a life that is pleasing to my Heavenly Father, so... I'm here to show you what that looks like and to be light in darkness and to change that. And he did. He was changing those people. Okay? So, this sanctification process, this, this life of living holy, uh, is all a result of what voice you give yourself to. And so this is why the separation shows up. Um, this past uh, Sunday morning in prayer... I showed you an example of uh, when King Jehoshaphat came into an issue. And, and we all come into issues on a daily basis. Some of them are bigger than others, but, you know, this was a big deal for him. And he's got three nations that are coming against him wanting to take him down. What was the first thing he did? Did he get with all his, uh, you know, chief military guys and say, all right, what are we going to do? What's the best tactic? You know, we, we're already behind the eight ball on this thing, so what's our best way of going about this? No, he wasn't trying to get tactical. He wasn't trying to get, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what's the best strategy to take these people on. He said, we need to fast and pray, and the whole nation is going to fast and pray with us. He was seeking God. He was saying, if I'm going to move and do what God wants me to do in this situation, I need to be able to hear his voice clearly. So he separated 
The only person that was allowed to speak was someone that was moved by the Spirit of God. And they said, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The Lord God is with you. This isn't even your battle. It's the Lord's. But tell me that that's not encouraging. That's way more encouraging than his top military guy saying, I got, I got a plan. I, I, I think I got something. I think I know how to be able to take these guys on. You, it's way more encouraging. When God says, it's not even your battle, it's his, well, then you're like, oh, well, bring it on. I'll, I'll take down ten nations who try to come against me. So he heard the right word. He had to get separated. He had to hear that voice. So sometimes we got to shut down the other voices so we can hear the right voice. Well, I want to show you here in uh, Exodus, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. going to do a little bit of Old Testament tonight. Exodus, second book in the Bible. And in uh, Exodus chapter 24, uh, we your little scene here, as you know, I like to give you little backdrops. And the scene here is Moses has led the people out of Egypt, led Israel out of Egypt. And we know that they had a rough time here didn't go as smoothly and, uh, you know, they, they didn't just walk right into the promised land like they should have. They, some people, historians and geographical guys, say this trip should have taken them 11 days. And here we are, 40 years, <laughs> walking around the wilderness, 40 years, trying to figure this thing out. But in Exodus chapter 24, this is where we begin with what we all know as the Ten Commandments. And Moses gets called upon by God to go up onto Mount Sinai to meet with him. And look at this in verse 1. It says, Now he said to Moses, God, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So notice here in verse 1 real quick that the, the Lord is calling upon Moses, Aaron, and these other two guys, and then 70 of the elders of Israel to go and meet with him, to separate from the people to go and meet with him, with God. Why? Because God has some commands and direction. That he wants to give. Go on down to verse 12. Chapter 24 verse 12. And then the Lord said to Moses. Come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone. And the law and commandments which I have written. That you may teach them. So notice. Now he's separating Moses specifically. Away from everybody else. Come up to this mountain. So you can hear my voice. Receive direction. And then you can give it to the people. Obviously, at this time, we know that God's about to give the Ten Commandments. He's about to write it on stone and give it to them. Verse 13, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. So, see, even Aaron, he's being pointed out here as, this is a man you can go to if you have a problem. Why? Because he has been separated. Go all the way back to verse 1. Aaron was one of the original guys that was separated from the people to be able to hear from God. Verse 14, And he said to the elders, Wait here 
for us. Okay, going down to 15. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Uh, skip on down to verse 18 real quick. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now, jump over to Deuteronomy real quick. Uh, keep your finger there because we're going to be coming back. Keep your finger there. But jump over to Deuteronomy. because Deuteronomy is basically the same account. Moses wrote all these books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That, But he showed, gives us a little insight here because now he's speaking first person about going up on this mountain. And look at this in verse uh, 9. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Look at this. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. So we see here that Moses has done what? Separated himself. This is what we would call a fast. He's there on this mountain to hear specifically a word from God. He's not eating and he's not drinking. Let's go over to Exodus chapter 32. Now, Exodus 24 all the way up to 32, God is, you got the whole discord between God and Moses. He talks about the Ten Commandments, obviously, and he, he writes out the Ten Commandments, but he does a lot more. He talks about the temple. He talks about the priests and what they should wear. He gets very specific in this thing. He's laying out some very uh, detailed things. In fact, one of the first things he says was, uh, when you get back down off that mountain, have all the people uh, bring an offering to me, the best things that they have. Okay, So he's given all kinds of direction, but now here we are in verse 32. Verse 1, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Look at this. Aaron, who is supposed to be separated to God. He was one of the first guys in Exodus chapter 24 that was receiving direction and that was told to be separate. Moses, Aaron, those other two guys, the 70 elders. He's not supposed to be listening to what the people are saying. But now Moses, or now Aaron, has got what has the dilemma that we all have. Two voices. And they got another voice that shows up now. Someone that's supposed to have been separating himself that says, Hey, this Moses guy, he's not showing up. It's been 40 days, 40 nights. Where is this guy? You know what? Forget him. Let us make our own God. That will lead us out of this wilderness that Moses got us into. Go to verse 2. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, daughters. Bring them to me. Verse 3, so all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hands, and he fastened it with an engraving tool and made 
a molded calf. Who made the calf? Aaron. <laughs> Aaron. Why? Because he listened to a different voice. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So we have Aaron, Moses' brother, who's supposed to have been separated this whole time, not listening to other voices, but we got a problem. Aaron has lended, has lent his ear to another voice. He's obeyed a different command, and now we've got a serious problem. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down for your people. <laughs> I love how he puts it on Moses. For your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Not been corrupted, but corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf, worshipped it, sacrificed to it, said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God sees it all. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. God's telling Moses, I'll get rid of them all. I'll get rid of the whole mess, and I'll start over with you. I will make you a great nation. God can get it done. He already did it once with Abraham, and that man was way beyond years to be making babies. And he tells Moses, we'll make you a great nation. We'll get it done. But Moses steps in, verse 11, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom... Here we go, Moses is... They're just passing it back and forth here. Moses is now saying, Whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath. Relent from this harm to your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and to them... I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. In all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So Moses stands in the gap and he says, How in the world? You, you need a Whoa, let's slow down a minute, God. Let's slow down. If, 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 we, if you consume them like you say you're about to do, if you take care of this whole radical bunch right now, the Egyptians are going to say, oh, so their God brought them out of Egypt and left them in the mountains to die and killed them off there. It's going to say, that people, this is what people are going to say about you, God. So Moses stands in the gap for the people. And so God uh, changes his mind here. And verse 15, Moses turned, went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side, and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. 
And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. Now Moses gets a little upset. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them. He just broke the tablets that God just got done writing the Ten Commandments on. That's how angry he is. I mean, if I'm holding something that God himself just got done writing on, you know, I, that's not, that's the last, I'm throwing a shoe or something. I ain't throwing the Ten Commandments. But he's so angry, he's throwing the Ten Commandments. Then he took the calf, which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. He's angry. And Moses said to Aaron, this is where it gets good. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? He put it on the guy. Remember when he left and he said, if anyone has difficulty, they can go to Aaron. So now he's wondering, what in the world happened? You're supposed to be helping lead them into the voice of God, helping give them direction and guidance from God, yet you're just doing what they want to do. You're supposed to be separated out from them, yet you're just doing exactly what they want you to do. Verse 22, so Aaron said, do not the length, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now this gets really good right here. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, And this calf came out. (laughs) I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? This guy's saying, yeah, so I just took all their gold and I threw it in the fire. And then all of a sudden, this calf just appeared. This golden, molded, engraved calf just showed up out of the fire. I mean, give me a break. We know we already read he molded it himself. He put his own hands. He hammered this thing in. He engraved it himself. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among the enemies. Aaron was the one that was supposed to restrain them. He was the one that was supposed to show them this is what we're supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be separate. He's supposed to be separated out. He's supposed to be the light in the darkness. And... Because he was unable to restrain them, they have gone on and done this. Verse 26, Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. i tell you right now, if you don't separate yourself, separation will come. He's saying right here, okay, want to talk about separation? Let's find out who's really separated under this thing. If you are on God's side, come over here. Anyone seen Ten Commandments, the movie? Charlton Heston, you haven't seen it? you got, you got to see it. It's good stuff. 
I mean, the ground opens up and swallows them all up, and it's good stuff. Good old school graphics and... Yeah, man, Charlton Heston's the man. Don't try and take his rifle away, though. If you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh, Where were we? Verse 26, Moses stood in the Lord's sight. Come to me, uh, whoever's on the Lord's sight. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Now watch what he does here in verse 27. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go in out from the entrance, from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother, his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Remember what Jesus said. If you aren't willing to leave father, brother, mother, sister, mother-in-law, you ain't fit for the kingdom. What is he doing? He's saying, you, we're going to define today. Your identity is not because of this family, not because of this tribe. Your identity is because you are on my side. And whoever's not on my side, I'm getting rid of. And Moses did this a couple times. If you're on my side, get over here. This happened uh, at, another, at another instance. He said, if you're on God's side... Stand over here. If you're not, stay over there. And those that were over there, the ground opened up and swallowed them. <laughs> Why? Because God wants to know, are you separated unto me? I'm not saying the ground's going to open up tomorrow if you don't do your thing, but this is the importance of separation. You want to hear and follow the voice. you got to shut out the other voices. Aaron should have never listened to the other voices. And so now... Separation has shown up, not only in their individual lives, but in the entire camp. And now we're really defining who's on my side and who is not on my side. Because God ain't playing around. He wants to know, is this separation uh, taking place here? Uh, Let's see. Go down to verse uh, 29, the next verse there. Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. That word consecrate, that's basically the same word as sanctify. That means dedicate. That means, uh, you know, set yourself apart for this work. Remember, you know, we've been using the, the example, you know, sanctification. It's kind of like if you have that certain set of clothes or dishes or, you know, uh, some people even may have, you know, a, a certain car or, or whatever. Something in your life that is only used for this specific thing. Uh, my wife has a bunch of sanctified jewelry. And it doesn't ever seem to be good enough to be worn, I guess. I don't know. It's all in there. I've bought her for Christmas and birthdays and whatever else. And it's like, you know, I, got, I just hate looking at it now. It's like, got all this stuff. You never wear it. You want to go down to Target and get the $5 stuff more trendy it looks better it's in diamonds are always in man white gold come on it's 14 carats it's the good stuff i'm gonna go burn it and make a golden calf out of it or something but she's got all kinds of that sanctified jewelry it's set apart for a good use we've all got something like that consecrate is basically the the same same thing it's dedicated 
it, it is used for this specific thing. So now he's saying, all right, if you're really separated unto God, consecrate yourselves today. Separate yourselves. Make that, make that point that I'm going to be separated unto God. I'm not giving myself to other voices. I'm not allowing uh, temptations and other voices to creep into my life and dictate what I do and don't do. And so there's times that, uh, and you know, I went through the, the, the uh, Bible today and went through every time that it talked about fasting. And a lot of times that showed up right before major things were taking place. Battles were going, or if they were needing to choose a king, or if they were needing to do something major for God, there was something important that needed to take place. And they said, if this decision is so important, I want to make sure I hear God on it. And when you come across those decisions, we, we need to be able to hear God. We need to be able to get set apart. And you know what? We need to shut other things out. I, I've been using examples all throughout these weeks of, you know, people that had major decisions, either job changes or time to move or, uh, you know, change a position in the job or something, you know, hook up with this business partner and start this thing or whatever. And they needed to make a point to shut out other voices because other voices can sway you. But if they're not hearing from God, then we could potentially be doing the wrong thing. We've got to know. We've got to know, is this a God thing? Every major decision I've made in my life, I have never made without going to prayer. It was never on a whim. And, and, and when you start doing that, uh, about the major things, you start finding that even there's some minor things that, you know what, this might just be a minor thing, but I just want to be that much sure that I'm hearing God. And you'll find yourself given over to hearing God's voice and knowing which one's right and which one's wrong, even sometimes without even having to put a whole lot to it. What I mean is... is uh, even in some minor decisions, you'll have a peace about if this is the right thing or the wrong thing. Where you didn't necessarily have to go and fast and pray for three days to get the answer. You just know, you know what, I just know this is it. This is it. And so we have to get in this habit, and sometimes it takes more of just really separating ourselves, really setting ourselves apart, really shutting things down. Because this, this, there's too much value. There's too much weight on this decision. I'm about to go to battle, and I can't go to battle guessing or half-heartedly. I've got to know this is what God wants me to do. I've got to know this is where I need to be. And then on top of that, not only will it help you make the right decisions, it'll help you live holy. Because that's what the sanctification process is all about. Remember, we talked about holiness, and we said holiness isn't, uh, this, this isn't an idea in someone's mind that is, you know, unforeseeable, that we can't actually be holy. Holiness is a product of living right. Holiness is a product of uh, obedience to God's word. So if we, want, if we desire to live that holy life, we have to find ourselves separating and sanctifying ourselves and saying, you know what, if I'm going to live holy... I need to be obedient to his word. If I'm going to be obedient to his word, I need to hear his word. If I'm going to hear his word, I'm going to have to shut some other voices out. I'll tell you right now, in my life, uh, I've gone through levels where I knew I needed to go further, 
there were more things I needed to cut off. The Bible in Hebrews talks about sins and weights. And not, not, every, uh, not every weight is a sin, but every sin is a weight. If it's a sin in your life, it's a weight and it will slow you down. But then there are those weights that we have. They're not necessarily sin. It's not a sin to, to be on Facebook. It's not sin to watch football. It's not a sin to, to do these things. But there are times and periods in our life that we'll go through where I'm not going to be doing as much of this as I was of this. I can tell you that right now, today, I don't spend as much time watching TV as I did maybe 10 years ago when I was still in college or finishing up. I can tell you today, I listen to different music than I did 10, 15 years ago when I was still in high school. There's a, there's a shift that's been taking place in my life. There's a difference now. Why? Because I'm growing and maturing, and it's almost like if you could picture a tunnel, and it has different levels where they get smaller and smaller. And so to get to the next phase of my life, it's required me to take in less of what I had before. And as I'm growing in this thing, I'm finding there's more and more being cut off. Why? Because there's more and more of a call for holiness. There's more and more importance. I need to be able to hear God speaking to me today way clearer than I did 10 years ago. So that requires me to be cutting off some things that I used to do 10 years ago. There are things that just had to quit. There are things that, you know what, I just don't partaking that i don't go do those things i don't watch those things i don't listen to those things it doesn't make me more holy than somebody else that's just where i need to be in my life and being in in preparation and being uh being in a level where you're always ready to cut those things off no matter what that starts now that starts today i, I can't say well you know when I'm this age, or when I go do this, then I'll start cutting things out of my life. It's going to be real hard to cut off some big things in my life if I can't even cut off the little things that I had to way back here. And so now I can hear God's direction way clearer today than I could back then, and it's necessary for me to. As a pastor and a leader of this church, I can't be at the level I was when I graduated high school. I can't be running around town listening to the same music that I was. I can't be just, you know, spending my nights just watching all the TV shows I used to watch. I mean, I'm not even going to tell you the stuff I used to watch, but it was all junk. And, and now we're at a level in our lives where we don't even have it. There are very select shows that we will even watch and, and, and sit in front of, and the rest of the time I, I find myself doing stuff today that 10 years ago I would have never thought doing. Reading books. And spending as much time in the words I do today and studying and, and doing those things. I'm not saying that to hype myself up. I'm saying that there are levels that you'll get to. But I'm where I'm at today because I was able to, when I was 19 or 18, and I started Bible school, I said, if I'm going to be doing this, I probably don't need to be doing this anymore. And then when I graduated and then I started helping with the church, then that started, I said, well, now it's the next level. What There's more that I can cut off. There's the, the priorities have changed because where I'm going in life requires me to hear God's word instantly, being able to hear that. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a weight for me in this level, but today it's a weight. It'll slow me down. It'll 
It will keep me from progressing, hearing God's word, and being able to do what I need to do with my life. That's what it's all about. You know, and we've been doing this 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 month, and I don't think it's any coincidence that we've taken this month right before we get into our one-year anniversary because, um, you know, I really believe that there are some things that God wants to do in this church, but we got to go to the next level. we got to get to that next level, and I believe that, you know, this stirring within our body and, and this, uh, you know, just getting ourselves to this level of, uh, you know, separation, being able to hear God. All I know is that I want to be able to hear God in 2013 more clearer than I heard him in 2012. I want to be able to react and obey quicker in 2013 than I did in 2012. The deeper we go in this thing, the more we progress in this thing, is going to require us to hear God's word clearer and clearer every time. And so this sanctification process is separating. This month there are things in my life personally that I've shut down. Um, and, and really I'm at a point where I don't even know if October 1st, if I'd even just jump right back into that the way I used to. Um, you know, not that, again, not that it's a sin, but there are just some things that I let go of this month that I'm like, uh, it, it's not even a thought in my mind anymore. And to go back to it almost seems, makes it seem like I'd go backwards a little bit. And so that's just between me and God. And, and whatever it is, that's what it will be. But going into this next one-year anniversary and getting ready for what God wants to do in year two, I think this was very power, paramount. This was very, uh, uh, this was a catalyst for us that's going to get us there. So when God starts speaking in 2013 and starts saying to do some crazy stuff, I'll be able to hear him clearly. I won't have anything holding me back. I won't have anything that's any other voices that's saying, you can't do that. Uh, you, it's not time yet. You're not, a, you're not an old enough church. You don't have enough people. Your building is not big enough. You don't, not enough people know about who you are. I can shut all those voices out and just hear God's voice because if I obey him, he's not going to fail me. If Aaron would have shut out the voices and would have said, no, Moses is up there on the mountain receiving a word from God. I've separated myself so I can hear from God as well. And this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Moses could have come back down to a more responsive, receptive crowd. But instead, he has to come down off the mountain, and he has to say, all right, if you're on my side, get over here, and then lose 3,000 men as soon as he gets off the mountain. You're thinking, man, all the time you're spending with God, as close as you are with him, getting tablets of stone that he's literally handwritten himself with the finger of God. And then you get down the mountain, in the first your first job description is, all right, now have these men kill these men. <laughs> I mean, you, that's not something you want to do. Why? Because Aaron didn't hold his position. Moses said that the, the, the people, they weren't restrained as they should have been, showed no restraint. What kind of restraint could we show in our lives if we separate ourselves and say, I'm only going to hear God's voice. I'm only going to obey God's voice and restrain ourselves from doing things that could get us in trouble because things will get cut off. Jesus over in John chapter 14, he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branch. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll bear much fruit. And he said that if you don't, if you don't produce any fruit, you'll get cut off and thrown in the fire. And I don't want to have anything in my life cut off. I don't want to have any areas of my life cut off. I want to produce fruit 
That's only going to be because the branch remains close to the vine. That means you remain connected. He said, me and my father are one. When you look at a tree, you don't look at a tree and say, oh, hey, look at that tree and all the branches. You say, look at the tree. The branches are the tree. If you're a branch on the tree, then you are God himself. And, and God said, I, I want them to be one with us just as you and I are one. I want that unity to take place. I want my people in the earth to look just like me because they remain close to me. They don't let anything separate us. They don't let anything come between us because, again, if, that se- if you allow separation to come in, the full separation will come in and it'll get cut off and we won't be able to move forward. But God wants that. He wants the separation from the world. He wants you to be right in the midst of all the junk and be able to say, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And that's what he wants. And so as we separate ourselves, as we continue, you know, we're winding down this month and this last week, I'm actually going to be ramping some things up and so continue to, um, you know, hear God on what he will have you do and, and continue to see that thing through. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And sometimes, you know, this is the point right here where we begin to justify and we say, well, you know, I've done so good for, you know, 26 days. 26 days I didn't do this. 26 days I didn't eat this. 26 days I didn't, you know, watch this. And then we get down and say, what's four days? What's today? What's this time? Well, let's stick that thing through. Let's see it all the way to the end. God's got some awesome things in store for us. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you again for this process of being set apart for your word. We're not separating just to say, hey, look what I did. You said that sanctification, that is necessary for a good work. You said that we are your workmanship, that you, uh, that, that you put us in, that you built us for from the beginning of time, before we were even created physically, you already had our purpose and design laid out. So, Father, that work that you created us to do, that influence you created us to have, we want that to come to fruition. We want that to be the greatest that it can be in our lives. And, Father, we thank you uh, tonight that we continue to run hard with that. We continue to stay focused. We, we don't veer to the right or to the left. We see this thing through to the end. And, Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in this church, what you're going to do in our individual lives because of what we have done this month to be set apart for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.